Welcome to another edition of Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me as usual is my good buddy, Derek Spech. Hey, buddy. What's up, man? <laughs> Not much. Good, 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 good. We, uh, definitely into the colder weather now. Last week we started with the wet snow and rain mixture, and some snow stayed. No, north of us, they got snow. Yes. Tis started already. We had, uh... Halloween there just the other day. You uh, eating the candies? <laughs> I always buy candy early and then have to go out and buy more because it all went away. And mm-hmm. <laughs> But I do like to buy lots of candy, even though at my house we only get about five visitors on Halloween. It's, it's not a very used street, but I get so much candy left over after Halloween, I'm so happy. We do not get a lot of kids coming around this. We're on a U-shaped street and... Uh, they forget about you? No, one side of our how, our, our street, they don't really do the Halloween thing. Oh. Um, we live in an area where there's there's a lot of people who've immigrated into the city and I guess whatever countries they're from, they just didn't... They don't participate. ...celebrate Halloween, I guess. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know. But when you look up the street, all the lights are off. Yeah. You know, which is a sign of there's nobody... So people don't come down the street. Um, unless they know we're there sort of thing, like friends of the family and whatnot. But, um, you know, so we buy a couple boxes of treats and whatnot and I end up eating them in the next day or whatever. And I used to take the kids out when they were little and you it's don't all take of, them out anymore. No, you know, I mean, when you show up with a couple <laughs> of kids that are going to university, <laughs> people sort of look at you. So I raised my beer and I said, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> But, uh, no, we used to, we used to get the, uh, the root down pat to maximize the number of houses in the perfect amount of time. <laughs> Biggest and, collection. Oh, we, we, t- <laughs> we took one of my son's buddies with us. Well, a few of them one year and I was in charge of taking them. I said, guys, you got to listen. This is the way to do it. And, um, when we were dropping the kids off, the parents were a bit astonished that they were being dropped off with like two pillowcases of candy. It's all about maximizing your efforts. <laughs> <laughs> I had a plan. I had the the uh, the neighborhood mapped out to hit the best streets with the without you know wasting any time. Yes. And oh, I was so efficient. Let me tell you. But I used to tell the kids, I get ten percent of the take. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I miss those days. You know. But uh, oh, you go to uh, big stores like Walmart and whatnot the day after Halloween. Oh, everything is. Those seven, $8 boxes of candy. Yeah. They're like a buck. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you stock up for next year. Yeah. Well, that's the same with, that was, that's the, uh, same with Easter. You know, the next day after Easter, all of a sudden the, uh, solid chocolate Easter bunnies are like going for 50 cents a piece. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's the only reason I do it, man. That's the only reason I do it. But, uh, yeah, no, you know what? And then, yeah, the, uh, the rain and the snow has started to mix. It's sort of the, the crossover. It's season, you know, it's right the boundary between summer and fall. I do like winter, but it's early this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's debate because I mean, originally the Farmer's Almanac almanac said it was supposed to be a crummy winter, I do believe. And then- uh, Crummy from whose perspective? Like crummy for lots of snow is what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I like snow, so it's just too early. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking- Probably about 10 years ago, I was really contemplating a snow, uh, snowmobile, but you've got to drive like oh, three yeah. hours out of the city yeah. to do it and doing that every weekend or, you know, you want to go for a, a quick boot after work or something. You can't. Go for a rip. Yeah. So, yeah. So I bought another canoe instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's the way it goes, but yeah, this time of year, it's, it's really, you wake up in the morning, there's the frost on the windows and. You know, you're just going to work in the dark and coming home in the <laughs> coming dark. Coming home in the dark and, uh, and you do everything in the dark. And yeah. some days if you don't have windows in your office, it's like you go, you could go <laughs> like three the or whole four day. Day, three or four days. It's like, I haven't seen the sun in three days. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly, I, they remodeled our building and I lost my big window. Oh. And yeah, so I don't see it. So if I'm not anywhere near, like I don't see daylight. Like I'm, I'm losing my summer tan and I'm going like ghostly white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looking at me, Hey, you all right, man? You're looking kind of pale. So, 
But um, yeah, you know what? Like th then you're come the weekends, you're just chomping at the bit to get out, you know? Um, and you know, I'm kind of chomping at the bit too. Like my little three-year-old keeps saying camping, camping. And uh, oh, I want to go canoe camping with him, but the water's so cold at this time of year. Yeah, you don't want to take a three the... and a six-year-old. Like we're going to go camping. I just don't know if we're going to take the canoe. Yeah. Well, I know we talked about taking your winter tent. Would they do winter camping? That's what we're going to do. Yeah. I'm going to try and get them out in November, second or third week of November. Mm -hmm. So the second or third week, like you were saying that you want to go up there with uh, my big tent and the wood stove. Yeah. So we like, so we second or third week, I can go both weekends. And, uh, so one weekend, I guess it'd be us and the other weekend would be me and my family. Well, the other thing to try as well beforehand is maybe, uh, cause you got a big backyard, right? Yeah, but it's not the same. No, but you know what? You get out there for an evening. Yes. Yeah, let them try yeah. it out. Cause you don't want to haul it three hours north, set it all up and then find out. Oh no, they're troopers. I don't like this. No, dad. no, they're troopers. They would be totally into it. They, they roll with everything. There was, they're really good that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not going to be a problem. So we're going to take the, uh, the big army tent and the wood stove and, uh, and I'm debating on bringing the canoe. So. Well, there's it, still some open water. There is. There will be open water, I assume till about mid-December. Yeah. I don't know that I'd do it with the kids. Well, if we stay near shore, I was thinking mm -hmm. it would be, and just short trips because <laughs> like I, I know from past experience, uh, like if your knees are on the bottom of the canoe on that cold, cold water, it goes right through that canoe into your knees. And so the kids are going to be sitting on the floor. Well, I just, mm -hmm. I would, I always, usually when it's cold like that, I bring foam for them to sit on and yeah. when I paddle. Yeah. That, you definitely got to do that. You so. just got to make sure you don't dump them in the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they hate that. The yes. wife hates that. And, the kids are uh, hypothermic. <laughs> so <laughs> we get the, the thing when we're out, uh, kids are smaller and they'd be playing and make sure they wash their hands. No, they're, they're camping. They're playing in the dirt. That's what's supposed, <laughs> this is how they're getting their, their, their bulking, germs and their, their immune system their, is bulking up. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Here, have a sandwich. No, don't wash your hands. Eat the sandwich. <laughs> don't tell mom I told you to do that. So, but speaking of, you just got back from Ishpatina Ridge. I did. And how was it? It was a fantastic trip. It was, it was short mm -hmm. and sweet. It was, uh, it was a lot of work. It was a ton of work. We, uh, I didn't get as much, uh, uh, paddling in as I would have liked. It was very minimal paddling, but we did, uh, a lot of bushwhacking and hiking up to the top of Ishpatina Ridge. Uh, for those who are uninitiated, the, uh, Ishpatina Ridge is the highest geographical point on, in Ontario. So it's the highest physical point you can get to within the province. And, uh, so we were there, uh, a week and a half ago and uh it was it was a good trip it was uh we did a lot of work we camped on crown land and uh then canoed and and hiked into uh lady evelyn smoothwater provincial park to uh the base of the trail at ishpatina ridge which is on scarecrow lake it's uh it's a really tough hike it's uh, it's very steep it's a, it's, it's a tough hike. My legs are still sore from it. And it's been a, like over a week since I've been to the peak, but, uh, it was worth it. Well worth it. It's the second time I've been to the Ridge and, uh, and I, hopefully I can go back a couple more times. It's a beautiful park. It's a typical Canadian shield, uh, pines. When you get up to the top of the Ridge, it's a lot of, uh, maples and other hardwoods. It's a, it's a really, really nice area. Great view. Yes. Oh, it's, it's incredible. It's, have you ever been to top Ishpatina Ridge? Uh, never got there. No. The view you get is just incredible. It's all you see is trees. You can't see any cities or towns or anything, mm -hmm. but what you can see is like five or six shallowing out ridges off into the distance, as far as you can see in any direction. And I didn't, we didn't, uh, take the time because it was late in the day and we had to, we ended up hiking and getting back to camp at like, uh, I'm not sure what time, about nine or so. It was well after dark. So we were, we, about one third of the trip on the way back was in light. Two thirds was in dark and it was, uh, about two and a half hours back to base camp. So it was a lot of, uh, bushwhacking in the dark to get through the bushes and trees. So it was interesting. I got lost about a dozen times. Good thing we had GPS and other electronic means to find our way back to the trails. But it was, uh, the weather, the weather was fantastic. Like, I think the coldest it got was about 
plus five or plus six degrees Celsius. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, we still, we had the big army tent. We had a wood stove, so we were plenty warm. It was, mm-hmm. it was awesome. There was no issue about too cold at night or whatever, because we had the right gear. I had my minus 30 sleeping bag and whatever. So it was pretty good. It was really, really good. It was a, it was a fantastic trip. Good. Now you bought, speaking of gadgets and GPS and whatnot, before you left, you haven't had much of a chance to use it. You got a spot Yes, Connect. I got, bought the Spot Connect. Uh, so the most recent Spot device out is the Spot Gen 3. Uh, I think the Spot Connect has been out for two or three years, and we talked mm-hmm. about it on a previous episode. And uh, I was pleased and displeased with it. Do you want me to go into it? Give a quick overview, I yeah. A, okay. Yeah. We talked about it last week, buying we did talk all about this it, stuff. So. And now I've actually spent some time using it. So one thing, and it really, when it comes to devices like that, every tool, every, everybody, a certain tool fits everybody's hands. And, and this one wasn't an ideal fit for me. Uh, it was, was, it's what I thought I really wanted, but unfortunately with the Spot Connect, so the good thing about Spot Connect lets you communicate, you can send messages out to people and I was, po- you could post to Facebook or Twitter or you can send messages by email or text. So you can send out all these messages and they just go out by satellite. Which is one of the big things that we said, that way you can communicate yes. whatever the problem is. Yes. If you're having an issue, you can communicate with search and rescue You can give whoever. details. Yeah. It's a broken leg. It's a heart attack. We have yeah. a dead body, whatever, right? Right. So I, I, I guess I didn't do the proper research, but... I, you can't receive messages. You can only send. So I was disappointed in that. I thought I was going to be able to receive. But anyways, I uh, I did uh, update everybody at home and stuff via Twitter and via direct message uh, with Spot when we're out in the backwoods with no cell service. Plus the tracking. Plus the tracking. So everybody could follow the track and follow. Mm-hmm. So I tracked right all the way on the car drive up and on the camping and whatever. And I turned it off at night. Well, and just on that point, we we discussed that if something goes wrong, then we can see, well, wait a minute, he's not he on stopped, his track. He's not moving. What's going on? Yeah, and on? you guys went to Sudbury and all of a sudden stopped. Yes, And I yes. mean, you were still texting distance, so I texted you and said, what's the deal? <laughs> and you said, yeah, the massive rainstorms, you're not going in and trying to set up camp. And it, it was, the rain was so heavy. Thank God we didn't yeah. go in that first night. We, instead of uh, going right to our base camp, it was, it's about a nine hour drive to base camp and we ended up only doing the four and a half hours to Sudbury and, and we were checking the weather all the way up and we decided, okay, it's, it's really bad. We're going to get a hotel the first night. And so it was, it, otherwise we would have been setting up camp in the dark, in the rain and holy cow, did it ever rain? The rain was coming down so hard. There was a, it, like you couldn't see the road in front of you and it was just coming, like I've, it was probably about the second or third heaviest rain I've seen in my life. Wow. It was so heavy. Anyway, so we stayed in a hotel and, uh, and, uh, the next day we continued on the trip. But yeah, like you said, you can, people were tracking me and they could see, it's like, Hey, you stopped. What are you doing at a hotel? Mm-hmm. Well, you see. Yeah. Because I, that didn't drive with, <laughs> yes, with the, this uh, doesn't make the sense. timeline you'd given us, right? Yeah. So anyways, the, uh, back to the spot thing, it was, uh, like I said, I was disappointed that you can't receive messages. You need the in-reach to receive and send. Right. So this you can only send. And I was, uh, I was posting to Twitter with it. And, you know, when I get to the top of Ishpatina Ridge, I posted that I'm at the top of the Ishpatina Ridge and stuff like that. So it was nice to be able to send out messages and people could track my progress as well as hear messages from me. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was nice. But one thing I think is a real shortcoming of the device is the fact that you absolutely have to have a smartphone connected to it to use like 90% of its functionality. You can, without a smartphone, you can turn it on and use SOS. And that's it. Yes. If you want to start a track or like stop a track, you just turn the power off. But if you want to start a track, you have to, you have to go into the app, turn on the device, connect it, and then... Like, uh, once it's connected, you go through the menu items and you select uh, track or select message or whatever. Right. So then you can start the track and people start tracking you. So like if your if your cell phone dies, then you, you're, there's no tracking ability. You can't start tracking again. Right. So on a, a three week trip. 
do you want to bring spare battery power for stuff like that? Yeah. Like if, like on your, you have the gen one spot. Yep. And uh, the latest strong and the latest out is a gen three. All you have to do is put in a new set of batteries, turn it on and hit the track button. Yeah. And that's good. You're good. You're done. And then at the end of the day, hit the stop track button. And then there's the set messages. You click set message Mm -hmm. in for the night safe or whatever. Yeah. So it was, uh, I think in hindsight, I would prefer to go with the gen three if I wanted my wife to know that everything's going well and everything's safe and whatever. And, uh, so you still have all the functionality and you don't need a smartphone. You don't need to bring, because I normally don't bring a smartphone to the backwoods. Yeah. On this trip, it was handy because I used it as a camera. I took a lot of pictures with it, but I would have preferred to, I usually leave the, the, the phone at home or, or pack it away safely in waterproof bags so that and I don't bother touching it again for the whole week type thing. So if you want to send and or receive texts, you've got to go in reach. If yes. you don't care about the texts at all, then Gen 3 is the option. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, with the, with the text and you even found out with just sending texts, it's an expensive option. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's, uh, you can, there's a, if you send 50 messages, only 50, then it's like 20 bucks for the year. Mm-hmm. If you want to send 500 messages, it's 50 bucks for the year. So it's not too bad. And, 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 and the messaging option is a good option, uh, uh, Lester and Lynette, Lynette and Lester, they, uh, crossed the Ungava Peninsula. We talked about them previously. Yep. And so he created a script that when he uploaded whatever to his Facebook, Twitter, he also sent it to a specific email address and it would go and upload and he, it populated his map automatically remotely. So he didn't have to have anybody at home doing this. So when we were following them across the Ungava Peninsula in Northern Quebec, you would, and he didn't do tracking function. All he did was he checked in in the morning, checked in at noon, and checked in at night. So basically every day was three... Check-ins. Sometimes four check-ins, and that's all he did. And I'm, I am I don't know for sure, but I think he was using the Connect at that time. And I think he's now, from what I recall him telling me, was he's using InReach now, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I have to confirm that. But so that's where the Connect comes in handy for... And for, especially for him, he had, uh, this summer, the trip that they did was, uh, there was four of them. And so everybody knew that they were safe. It's, uh, the Ungava Peninsula is very, very remote. Yeah. So it helps that people can log in and say, okay, they made their, they made their lunchtime destination. They're running this rapid. They're doing whatever. So it, it's really looking like there is no one size fits all unit. Absolutely That's for not. sure. No. That's for sure. Well, I'm thinking, like I say, I'm, I'm still using the Gen 1 from... Man, how many years now? When did that thing come out? <laughs> 10 years ago? I Has don't it know. been 10 years? I don't know. Yeah, I've been using it's it. It's old. Yeah. And I mean, I'm still using it. It still works. But, yeah. you know, I, it's time for, I think if I get, I'll, I'll be going Gen 3. Yeah. I think it's time. Yes. Christmas is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Derek. <Yeah. laughs> so, well, it sounds like you had a good time up there though. Oh yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was a really good trip. It was nice, you know. We we had steaks to cook, and we we uh, we were on Crown Land, so we, we did some hunting, and we caught some rabbit and some rough grouse, and we had some so we had some fresh meat. It was a really nice trip. It was a very very backwoods, and it was just a we had a lot of fun. It was just a guy's trip. Good, good. Did you do any fishing? Nobody brought any fishing rods. I what? was I was going to, oh. and uh, and at the last minute I decided that I was going to try and lighten the load, and I got rid of a few things. I had considered doing fishing, and then I think for me, out of my frustration for fishing, is the fact that I never catch anything. I do so horrible at fishing, so I uh, it, it's it, I don't know. It was an easy decision for me not to bring fishing gear because I uh, I'm so horrible at it. I love fishing. You call it's it a, fishing, not catching. Yes, it's, it's it's not catching; it's fishing. But yeah, I I'm, I uh, I don't know. I obviously I'm doing something wrong, but uh, for the most part, I still enjoy it because I I enjoy that private time. You go to this side of the edge of the lake. You do a bunch of casts. It's been an hour, hour and a half. Just it for me, it's like uh, I'm just there to. It's it's something for me to do to occupy my hands so that. I can just stare off and look at the water and look at the trees and look at the birds and stuff like that. Yeah. You know what? I grew up northern 
Canada, Western Canada, and we always were fishing. We were always out boating and oh, fishing. Oh, we did too. And, yeah. You know, that, that's, that's what we do. And we still do it. I mean, we joke about my brother, Greg, if he's not catching anything, there's no fish to be caught, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like that's just the going joke. So, so yeah, you know, I, I love going out in the canoe and, and doing the fishing and it's becoming a big thing now over the last couple of years, especially with kayak uh, fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's new methods and techniques to, because normally off a dock or whatever, a lot of people aren't interested, but if you can combine kayaks and fishing, it mm-hmm. gets a whole new bunch of people interested in it, right? Well, there's a lot of pros and cons to doing the kayak and canoe fishing. I mean, the paddle, the paddle fishing, you know, it's quiet. You don't have the boat motors and, and whatnot ripping around, right? And and I think what a lot of people enjoy about it, just like me, I like to just sit there and cast. It gives my hands something to do. So people who like paddling, it's like, well, I'm not going to circle this marsh for three hours. I, I'm going to be done in 45 minutes. But if I sit there and cast and cast and cast, I can blow away five hours and have a really great afternoon. And if, whether I catch anything or not is is irrelevant to the whole issue. I just get to get out there and, and enjoy the outdoors. Well, I've always got the fishing gear, the f- the photo gear in the canoe with me. Oh yeah. So if you're sitting there paddling and you find a place and yeah, you start, you just cast the line for a bit and hopefully you catch something and then you continue on a little ways and, uh, maybe you see something great and you get the tripod set up in the canoe, yep. Yep. you know, you do some photo stuff and it really makes for a good day. So the tripod helps make a stable platform for a camera yeah. in the canoe. In the canoe. It, believe it or not. <laughs> this will stabilize this. This will stabilize the whole thing. But um, yeah, you know what? But with the with the canoe and the kayaks, even the paddle boards, yeah. uh, you can get into places the bigger boats can't. You know, so you're going down the, the small little rivers yeah. and stuff that the big boats can't get into. Um and there's lakes that aren't accessible to boats. Yes. My brother and I went, um, uh, Northern Ontario tour for 10 days and we started up in Tomogamy and we went out there, out, out from Tomogamy in the, in the canoe and we were, there's three lakes every year in Northern Ontario that are open for fishing for Aurora trout. I don't even know what that is. Not a lot of people do. It when you if you hold one upside down, it looks like a brilliant red sunset. Oh yeah, they're almost eliminated. Huh. So there's um, they're, they're trying to bring them back in northern Ontario. Okay. So there's lakes that are stocked with them, and they open only three of these lakes every year. But they're stocked. They're fish. stocked fish. They're stocked. Yeah, fish. yeah. Um, so we went on the on the hunt for these things, and we there was one lake. And it was way back. I mean, we went off logging roads and there was one point where my brother had to get out in front of the truck and guide me (laughs) because I mean, there was rocks and everything. So you had to get the tires on the big rocks and set up on the oil pan and. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And, uh, we got into the lake and there's no way you could take a boat into there, but we had the canoe on the roof. Okay. Right. So that's the. That's the bonus of that sort of thing. You can get into these places, these beautiful little lakes. Yeah. You're not getting into with a boat. Uh-huh. Exactly. Right? Uh, you can launch from pretty much anywhere. Uh, they're environmentally friendly, right? Yeah. So you're not using yep. the, the gas motor. Big old motor, yeah. They're good for exercise. So yeah, you're sitting there paddling all day. Are. Yeah. You know, and sitting in your kayak or whatever, paddling all day. Low cost. Because you're Absolutely. not paying for all the gear and Absolutely. all those, those big boats. Have you checked out some of those big bass boats and stuff? Is that nuts? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Be nice to have one. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Those <laughs> you big... want to pass one my way, I ain't turning <laughs> it down, but. Those big competition bass boats, like mm. they have such huge engines on them. It's just like mind blowing. Yeah. It's like I can go Mach 3 out to the fishing hole and <laughs> be the first one there. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the disadvantages of having, a, you know, doing the paddle fishing. Yeah. Weather changes, you're, you're not getting back to your vehicle It takes really time fast. to get back, yeah. Um, if you are on a big lake, you know, you can't just boogie cross. Like you say at Mach 3, you can't boogie five miles up a lake, yeah. you know, in, in 10 minutes, yeah. right? It's going to take you a few hours. 
sort of thing. So there are disadvantages, but uh, um, the other disadvantage we found, uh, Marcus, Mark in the park. Um, he was in the stern and I was in the bow seat facing forward and we were fishing. You know those Northern Ontario photos you see of some guy holding a pike so big that you can't believe it's that big? Oh, yeah? I latched into one of those. And when you're facing forward in a canoe, and he's right beside the canoe, and his head is right beside your seat, and the tail is halfway down the canoe. Really? How are you landing that thing? That's huge. It was massive. All I saw was a big mouth and teeth. <laughs> <laughs> there was no way I could get him in. in. I assume he let him go. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. We had no choice. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we weren't <clears> keeping <throat> it. It was too big to, yeah. to keep anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, that thought, was something you get your picture taken with and go, oh, my God, remember that fish? Yeah. You know? And I think the bigger fish is better to let them go because they're the big breeders. Yeah, the big old lunkers, man. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's another disadvantage. Um, <laughs> but having said that, uh, we just, we paddled to the end of the lake and there was a nice breeze coming up. So we'd paddle the end of the lake, drop our lines down and the wind would just blow us straight down the lake. Oh, so you just kind of. It's nice, easy drifting, lazy man drift. fishing, right? Yeah. yeah. But now when you're fishing or not catching or whatever you're doing. Yes. <laughs> um, what's your favorite fish to go for? Uh, anything that bites really. Yeah? Yeah. It makes no difference to me. I just like catching fish. Well, I think there's the. The four main ones are the bass, the trout, pike, and walleye. Yeah. You know, they're all really good to, to, uh, to eat. Um, I do enjoy the trout. I, I really enjoy trout and, and walleye. I am not a big pike fan. Never have been. Um, we caught a lot of pike up in uh, Woodland Caribou. And it almost tastes like, it, well, it has... Uh, I don't know, mushy mashed potatoes. Oh yeah? Yeah. I, I, that's the only way I could describe it. But yeah, we're not, not a fan of that. I do, oh, jumbo perch. Okay. Out West. There was, there was a lake just outside of Cold Lake, Alberta, um, Crane Lake. And you used to catch jumbo perch and you fillet them and you batter them and you deep fry them and oh, so good. (laughs) So good. I grew up in New Brunswick. So, uh, I used to fish, uh, salmon fishing on the Miramichi River. And, uh, that was always a great, uh, I used to go out with friends and family and, and I think that the biggest one I had was 34 inch, a 34 inch salmon. It was a nice catch. Well, we, we go, uh, salmon fishing near you, where you live. On uh, Lake Ontario? Bowmanville Creek. Oh, really? When they run up in the, oh, in okay. September yeah, 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 after yeah, the yeah. rains. Yep. Oh yeah. And my brother's caught a couple up there. We brought a buddy and there was one year, we don't know if he fell in or was pulled in <laughs> to this day. <laughs> he said he was not going in and he latched into this big, big salmon and in he went. <laughs> <laughs> Best day of his life, he says. But um, there's, if you go to CanadianKayakAnglers.com, they have a how-to section uh, on how to fish from a kayak. Now I've seen a lot of this down in, down south. It's uh, very popular. Yeah. Like Florida and stuff like Intercoastal that. Intercoastal and, uh. Right out, right out in the ocean stuff. Yeah. And the, the, what are they? Saltwater flats <clears throat> yep. and, and all that sort of stuff. It's very, very popular. It's huge. It's huge. Fish they're yeah. bringing in too. Yeah. Like, how are they getting those into the canoe or the, uh, the kayak? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it's, it's, it's really something. It's, it's taken off. That's for sure. But I mean, if you're going out paddling for the day or whatever, take the fishing rod with you. Yes. Definitely do. You know, we, we've got them with us and sometimes you, even if we're on a portage trip, we'll, um, get just offshore and we'll, we'll throw, uh, the lure out and little Cleo or something like that, just a spoon and troll it behind us, cross the lake that we're on. And sometimes we catch something, sometimes we don't, you know, you reel in, portage to the next lake and do it again. <laughs> But yeah, CanadianKayakAnglers.com. They have a how-to section. Check it out. Um, start it, yeah. I mean, you know what? We're, we're heading into the, the winter season. Now's the time to start looking into all this for, for uh, spring when you start with the big uh, trout 
and whatnot, fishing come spring. That's yes. the best time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the spring freshet, when the, when the ice goes out, the trout are all biting. It's a, it's a great time to go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it definitely is. But, uh, give it a whirl. Check out, check out the different techniques, um, on the internet. You can Google it every, there's so much, so much there. Uh, but yeah, definitely look into checking out, um, fishing from, be it a canoe, a kayak, or a paddleboard even, and, uh, be ready for next spring. In the meantime, let's take a quick break here and we'll come back and, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, some rivers. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. I want to talk about rivers, Derek. Absolutely. I like rivers. Um, I, I was just looking at the map to see if maybe there's a possibility of doing some last minute, you know, last uh, end of season canoe trips and stuff like that. And when I was researching, you know, one thing goes to another, to another, to another, and you start leading on from page to page to page. And I started thinking about maybe bigger trips for uh, next summer, 2017. And as I'm looking around at some of these rivers... And, you know, of course you start doing the, well, I'd love to hit this river and that river up north and whatnot. Started noticing a lot of Canadian heritage rivers. Um, and just started, you know, like I say, you go one in, into another and uh, did some research into what the Canadian heritage rivers are. Now, I'm sure you've heard, you've heard of heard of them actually well i've heard of the rivers but and one thing that i find is uh it's kind of interesting kind of weird but uh because of this show because of us doing these episodes it's amazing what i'm learning because until you brought this up until you discovered it i didn't even know that we had something designated as a canadian heritage river and it's it seems like every single week we come across something new within the within the paddling community within within anything within canada and in the us and worldwide it's like we i keep, i keep discovering new things that i would never have known if it wasn't for this show it's it's amazing what's out there that i didn't know and it's makes me even more curious what I'm still missing. But uh, yeah, Canadian Heritage Rivers, I found it, it's a, it's a fascinating concept. Well, I've, I've heard about them, but again, like you say, I didn't really give much thought no, to them. No, you don't think about it much. It Maybe I mean, you might hear something in passing and you just kind of ignore it and whatever. But yeah, this is, uh, when you brought it up, it's like, oh, interesting. We have Heritage Rivers. Yeah. Makes sense. When I heard about it, when I first heard about Heritage Rivers, I think, oh yeah, there's a few of them, right? There's actually 42. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big number. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, oh, maybe there's like eight, nine, ten, you know, maybe a dozen. No, 42 of them. Um, <laughs> so name a total, few. What, how totaling many? close to 12,000 kilometers Whoa. of paddling. That's a lot of waterway. Now, there's 12 in Ontario alone, and okay. I'm proud to say I've been on eight of those 12. Eight. In, eight. We worked out just before the show that I've been on two. <laughs> <laughs> You're a putz. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of my, most of my water travel is, uh, I kind of go to two specific areas, the Sturgeon River area, northern, north of uh, Sudbury mm -hmm. and Algonquin Park. I haven't really gone outside of those two areas. I, I find something I like and I was sticking to it, right? Like I, I prefer lakes. Uh, for river travel, uh, it's only when I do a little bit of white water and I've never really done much of that. I did the course this spring and I did a kayak course about four or five years ago. Uh, so it's, uh, it's not something that I have been into that heavily. Well, I know, I know I talk a lot about, uh, my woodland caribou trip I did a few years back. Yes. Just, and I, I just wish, so enjoyed it. I wish I could have gone on that. But the Blood Vein River, which we traveled on, 
is a heritage river. Uh, the Detroit River, the French River, which I was on this summer yes. with my son, is a Canadian heritage river. The Grand River, the Humber River right here in Toronto, Mattawa River, the Ottawa River, uh, and the Makes Rideau sense. Waterway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Rideau Waterway. Absolutely. Yep. That would be, a, yeah. Um, you were out in New Brunswick or Nova Scotia? New Brunswick. New Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, St. Croix River. Never St. John it. River. I've been on the St. John River. Upper Restigucci oh. River. Um, yeah, I've been on that. Yeah, those are Canadian Heritage Rivers. Huh. Canadian Heritage River System is Canada's National Rivers, River Conservation Program. Uh, and I thought these would have been around for forever, but it was only established in 1984. So it's very recent. Well, yeah, relatively recent. Relatively <laughs> in recent, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, <laughs> back in the early 1900s, but no. Yeah. End my, of the 1900s. Yeah. Gives national recognition to Canada's outstanding rivers and encourages their long-term management to conserve their natural, cultural, and recreational values for the benefit and enjoyment of Canadians now and in the future. So they have this whole list of things because you can actually nominate a river Yes. To become a heritage river. Yeah. And it's not as simple as, uh, as, uh, John Doe saying, Hey, my river should be a heritage river. It's, it's not as simple as that. Like you, you inquire of it, you contact the, uh, the group and, uh, they will go through an assessment and there's multiple levels for them to determine whether the river meets the requirements to become a heritage river. It's not just historically significant. It's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's seven steps, um, total steps to becoming a, a heritage river. Um, I mean, yeah, the first one is you got to contact your your provincial or territorial Canadian Heritage River board member and say, you know what, hey, here's the deal. Here's what I'm thinking. This has got a long historical value. You know, like it, it's been a native waterway since you know, forever sort of thing. You go along, and this is one of the things we noticed in the blood vein was the uh, pictographs painted on the rocks and stuff. Um, or it's historically or culturally um, yes. important, right? Um, then there's the pre-screening where they start looking at why and making sure you know what's all included in becoming a heritage river. A background study, so they study the river. Um, then you got to start doing nomination documents. So you start doing all these reports and, and of course there's people to help you along the way. Um, now is this all volunteer or is like, I understand there's, there's financial support from the federal government. Yeah. But pretty much, I think it's, it's volunteer uh, yeah. to do it. But there's obviously expenses to be covered here. And you've got to have a high level of public support as well. Okay. Right. So, I mean, you can go through all these steps, but I mean, if it's just you doing all of this and no one else thinks it should be a heritage river. Yes. Well, then the, chances of it it's not going anywhere is, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you have to make a, a persuasive argument for the river's exceptional values, uh, to be included in this, in this system. Um, and yeah, they re they really go on about the high public support for it and it's, it's value. Yes. Historical. Now and. Yes. Yeah. For the future. Yes. Um, and then the, once everything, you get all your ducks in a row, you present it and there's a review and an approval of it. Um, and if they, everybody on the board and nomination board and all that says, yep, you know what? Minister responsible for Parks Canada Minister of the Environment and Climate Change Canada all say, yep, yeah, you know what? You're right. This is good. Let's do it. Then step six is producing a designation document where, um, also known as a management plan or heritage strategy. Uh, it must be prepared. It describes how the river will be managed to conserve its outstanding natural, cultural, or recreational values. So it's not simply... It's designated, it meets this historical list. They actually take actions to protect and preserve it. Yeah. Yeah. So once you get a river nominated and they say, yeah, we're going to include this, it doesn't end there. It becomes protected. Yeah. So and does that include blocking some like uh, commercial uh, planning and whatever? I assume it must limit certain 
It there must is be a non-legislative process, which means that all conservation actions described in the designation document are voluntary. Huh. Okay. No new regulations or laws are created when rivers are designated to the CHRS. So it's not going to block commercial development, no. but it will, it will uh, encourage people not to mess with the river. Well, and I'm sure if somebody wants to put a, a resort on the side of a heritage river, it's not that so- the fact that it's a heritage river will be brought into it. Yeah. It probably would more benefit the commercial operator as opposed to blocking the commercial operator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final step is the review and approval of the designation. Uh, designation document is reviewed by the technical planning committee and tabled with the board for its recommendation to the appropriate provincial and territorial ministers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For the formal designate and, and everything. And, you know, uh, News announcement and a plaque unveiling ceremony. <laughs> well, boy, you got a plaque. Mm, hot diggity. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know what? Like, just looking into all of this, just to give a couple quick examples, the Humber River, uh, designated for its historical and recreational values, uh, located in the zone between the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Forest region, a uh, total of 473 archaeological sites representing the full range of human occupation within wow. the Humber River watershed have been located and registered. That's pretty significant. Uh, in May 2016, Parks Canada, in partnership with the National Capital Commission, established a summer pilot project to install a series of floating docks on the Rideau Waterway. Oh, okay. Just so you get more people involved. Recreational. Using, yeah. So it increases recreational yep. access to the... Uh, to create access points for canoe and kayak paddlers alike. Huh. Cool. Uh, the Blood Vein River is steeped in Aboriginal history. The name Blood Vein appears to have first been used in an 1818 Hudson's Bay Company journal. Huh. So, yeah. Um, the 18th century, the blood vein was used by the Ojibwe peoples as a trapping area to supply the fur trade, uh, from 1790 to 1821, uh, served as a secondary fur transportation route. So you can see the type of rivers we're talking. Yeah. So there's a heritage aspect to it. It's not just simply somebody's coming forward saying, Hey, this is my river and protect it and type thing. It's, so there's actually multi-level, it's multifaceted. Yeah. So Check out these, uh, there's a listing if you go to chrs.ca, Canadian Heritage River System, uh, chrs.ca, there's a list of all the heritage rivers. And I'm wondering if anybody out there has paddled every single one. So let's take a quick break here and uh, come back with, uh, we'll talk a little bit about winter. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Hey, this is Sean Rowley of Paddling Adventures Radio. When out on the water, a bad map can lead to a terrible paddling experience. That's why when paddling Tomogamy, Killarney, and Algonquin Park, I've come to rely on Jeff's map. If you're looking for a waterproof, tear-resistant map with paddling routes, portage data, historical points, and much more, then go to jeffsmap.com and see the maps I use. Available in print or in a downloadable format, jeffsmap.com. Now, Derek, we've been talking about this being the, the shoulder season, fall, going into winter, and... Uh, Winter brings up, what do paddlers do over the winter for activities? Because, I mean, if you're not going to a warmer climate to paddle, what are you going to do over the winter? Exactly. Like, and everybody's looking for something to do. If you're, uh, if you're outdoorsy, if this is the thing you do, if you're into paddling, if you're into whitewater, if you do these sports... You don't just shut things down for the winter. Some people do. If you're just into casual paddling, lake and river and camping, then some people do shut things down for the winter. But I think most people look out, seek out and search bigger and better things to keep doing. So you have a a four season experience. Well, I did a poll amongst our canoeing 
Brethren. Brethren, uh, for lack of a better term. Brethren and sistren. <laughs> what, what's the female version of brethren? I don't know. Anyway, a bunch of people that I know that do canoeing. I said, what do you guys do over the over the winter months? Uh, some of them go paddling in warmer climates. They head south on paddling yep. vacations. Um, you know, trying something new, going, you know, paddling the ocean, paddling, as we talked earlier in the show, Florida, Southern States, Mexico, stuff like that. Argentina, Mexico, yeah. Europe, yeah. that sort of thing. Some of them, and I know you've talked about this before, the west coast of Canada. Oh, they I still guess. do this, the kayaking out there all winter Absolutely. long. I used to live out in Victoria or Souk yeah. on Vancouver Island and you could go skiing in, in the morning and in the afternoon or evening you could go, uh, you could go uh, out sea kayaking. And I, I did that one day, just to try it out, just to do it, just to say I did. And it's easy, like in the coastal areas are nice and warm and temperate. And so it's, it's easy to do. It's, you can paddle year round. The water's cold, but the water's always cold. It's the, uh, it's the, uh, Pacific ocean. Yeah. One of the places I, I noticed when I did some research was Tofino, yeah. uh, out on Vancouver Island. Beautiful area. Yeah. Uh, and then as you said earlier, some of them, they just hibernate for the winter. They put the canoe gear away and they just wait for spring to come along. And some people do that. And, yeah. and, uh, before I got more into a, uh, full four season type thing, I used to, you know, you gain your typical five or six pounds over winter and burn it off in the summer. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah, you're hibernating, you're doing stuff indoors, sticking yeah. close to home, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Others, uh, they go to the gym just to keep in shape. Now I know the gym I go to, I do the, the cardio stuff. I'll do the uh, treadmill for a bit. And then they got the rowing machines. So I'll do a few kilometers on the rowing machine. You know, just to get that, keep the back loose and, and whatnot. Yes. Because, the, you know, the lower back really, I've had that happen a couple of times on a, on a canoe trip. Um, you get the sciatic all acting up and it's like, oh, that just, you can't do anything. And that's often due to lack of activity. And so yeah. your muscle tone and, and is you, you, it more enables you to pinch nerves and. Um, snowshoeing and skiing. Now we used to ski out in Saskatchewan. I mean, do the cross country skiing. I've been downhill skiing a couple times, but, um, as much as I enjoy it, it, I, it, I find the, the slopes are just way too crowded for me. Uh, but the snowshoeing, I've, you know, I've invested in a couple pairs of snowshoes and whatnot, and I love getting out there. Well, we went, uh, was that two winters ago? That wasn't last winter, was it? Uh, that we went up and joined the guys. The, it was, uh. No, no. The one we went, uh, uh, Just for the day just trip. Just for the day trip. Yeah. That was, was that last winter? That was the... Two winters ago? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, snowshoeing and skiing. I mean, that's what a couple of them are, are doing is, yep. is, uh, you know, they get out and they go for the snowshoeing and, and the skiing downhill or cross country. Yeah. Um, another thing to sort of go along with that is the winter hikes. Uh, and now Algonquin Park, they have all the trails. And they're well beaten, so you can And can't they are hike well them. used. Now, there's a couple of them that aren't, like, I did Cache, Cache Lake, um... Trail and there's the lookout, not the lookout trail. There's a trail that goes off the top of that and it wasn't oh, no. used. And oh, I thought <laughs> I was going to have a heart attack and die halfway up. Uh, but for the most part, you know, 90% of the trails, they're, they're well used. Yes. And you get out there on a nice day, the snow, the, the blue, blue skies, the birds and all that. And it's perfect for that. And yeah, you get a good hike and. And whatnot, and take the take the camera gear and uh, whatnot, and you're, yeah, you're out doing stuff, and you're keeping yourself um, fit, right? Well, it's easy to do, and it's really it just takes that that initiative to uh, to make yourself into a four season. Uh, kind of exercise thing, right? Like, you know, back in the day when you had to hunt for a living and bring in the food and whatever, it was easy. You just, had, you had to work the farm, work the land and you, everybody stayed fit. But nowadays it's, uh, with our sedentary lifestyle and technology and whatnot, we kind of, everything kind of slows down a bit. So it's, uh, it's no wonder that, uh, Canadians and Americans are, are gaining weight. Well, I'll, if you're looking for me this weekend, I'll be at the grocery store hunting down a box of burgers <laughs> and, and a bag yeah. of buns. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I'll be harvesting those potatoes, yes. chips. 
<laughs> but that's just the way society's going. So you yeah. kind of have to make, and I do it myself, you have to make a conscious effort to create this. And I want to do it with my kids. I want to create that need for them to not play video games, but get out and do stuff, right? Yeah. And um, like myself, I, I snowshoe, I ski, I downhill ski, I cross-country ski, I snowboard. And, you know, I, we do a lot of the winter stuff and uh, we're going to get, my three-year-old and six-year-old out this winter and do some winter camping. Actually, well, like I said earlier in this episode, we're I'm going to get them out in mid-November and uh, get some fall camping in, under their belts. Well, the winter camping is one of the things that some of the canoeists I were talking to said that they do in the winter is the camping. I mean, yes. they get the the tents and the the wood stoves and you know, and you throw the snowshoes on and a and a, a toboggan and load it up and off you go, right, or a sled. The last thing that I've I've found the fat bikes, yes, with those tires. I've been wanting to try that. Yeah, it's but it's uh, they're they're expensive. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're looking at seven eight hundred bucks for the cheapest of yes. the cheap, and I was looking at one like three thousand something. Yes, uh, they yeah. are expensive, but I'd like to. You can rent them. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know what, winter's on its way. Keep, uh, make your plans. Make your plans. Keep fit. Yeah. And keep fit. Cause you know, paddling season will be here soon enough thereafter. So, well, you know what? That's the end of the show. Um, cover a lot of little, a lot of things today. Quite and diverse. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see some more stuff, check us out on Facebook. You can go to our Instagram site and you can find links to all those on our website at paddlingadventuresradio.com. Till next week, I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>